Before we begin, don't forget that if you want to hear this episode ad-free, then sign up to our members channel. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes. Members will get exclusive access to all episodes of Smoking Gun, completely ad-free, before anyone else. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's a bright, clear morning in Lofthammer, Sweden. The small town, with a population of just several hundred people, has been home to Ingemar Vestlund, a 69-year-old father of two, and his wife, Agnita, for years now. But when Ingemar opens his eyes on that fateful morning in spring 2009, alone in his bed, his heart is far from full. For over six months now, things have been different. The new life he had built for himself in Lufthammer had all but fallen apart. The friendly conversations over the counter in the local shop have been replaced by stony silences and sideways glances. His trips to the local golf course were now solitary affairs. His former friends had pains to give him a wide berth should they cross his path in the clubhouse. And he's persona non grata at town committee meetings. As he waits for his morning coffee to brew, something shiny catches Ingemar's eye through the living room window. He opens his front door and steps outside to investigate where he is greeted by the unexpected sight of a life-size elk statue, one made entirely out of metal. Ingemar's breath catches in his throat. As his eyes take in the precisely crafted feet and the pointed, almost threatening-looking antlers, he's certain he knows what this means. It's not a gift, far from it, but rather a message one that says to him quite clearly, we don't care what the authorities say. We know you killed your wife. Leave now and never come back. My name is Romola Gary and I'm an actress who's always been fascinated by how criminal cases are solved. The amazing processes that go on behind the scenes. The clues that clinch the case. And my name is Tracy Alexander. I'm the president of the British Academy of Forensic Sciences. I've spent years inside these processes, searching for those clues. I've dedicated my career to using science to help the course of justice. And my work has ensured that hundreds of criminals have gone to prison and the wrongly accused go free. Together, we're going to lift the lid on some of the most extraordinary cases from around the world. We'll discover how, with the help of science, everyday items have become the key to catching a killer. From What's the Story Sounds, 
This is Smoking Gun. The Elk Hair. The day everything changed for Ingemar and Agnita was an overcast, cloudy one. It was a Friday, the 5th of September 2008. The couple have been together for over three decades, having tied the knot in Paris in 1965. They initially settled down in the city of Naka, a three-hour drive up the coast, where they raised two daughters, Teresa and Clara. Their first property in Lufthammer is a small cottage that the family retreats to every summer. It's a stunningly beautiful place, with lush forests, crystal clear lakes and dozens of islands to explore. Once their children are grown and have flown the nest, the Vestlands decide to permanently relocate. Together they build a new life for themselves. They purchase a farm on the Smallland archipelago that Ingemar tends while Agnita sells bric-a-brac that she picks up at local auctions out of their barn during the summer months. They're welcomed by the locals with open arms, quickly becoming active members of the community. Agnita gets a job as a cultural coordinator in nearby Vastavik, while Ingemar devotes himself to local politics, eventually finding himself elected chair of the Lufthammer Town Committee. All is as it should be, and before long, the couple feels like they've truly made a home for themselves there. Ingemar busied himself with one of the several projects he always had on the go. He's handy, and over the years had built everything, from a simple terrace for him and Agnita to while away their evenings on, to full-blown homes for their daughters to stay in when they visited. Agnita organised the barn, sorting through the various items that she had failed to offload during the summer sales period. The couple are both jazz enthusiasts, particularly the music of Swedish trombonist Niels Landgren. Ingemar has recently connected two outdoor speakers to the wall of their house, pointing them towards the yard so that he and his wife could enjoy Landgren's solos as they worked. That evening... Shortly before 6.30, Ingemar takes a look at the grass and, deciding it could do with a trim, fires up his ride-on mower. Not long after he started, Agnita approaches him, their dog Yoka at her feet. She's going to take him for a walk in the woods, like she did most days. The couple make plans for the evening, agreeing that they'll have a late dinner at 8 which they'll eat whilst watching the World Track and Field Championships. They say their goodbyes and go their separate ways. Jokka's excited barks are quickly drowned out by the roar of the mower's motor, and Ingemar soon loses sight of his wife's bright red jacket through the trees. An hour goes by. Ingemar has finished the lawn and is now raking up the freshly cut grass into easy-to-gather piles. He's dressed in his usual work attire, jeans and an open checkered shirt. Sweat glistens on his chest. Yawning, he runs a hand through his short white hair and thinks to himself, Agnita should have been back by now. Her walks usually didn't last this long. 
He approaches the edge of the forest to see if he can hear Yoka barking and sniffling excitedly through the undergrowth, a telltale sign that they're just minutes away. But he can hear nothing but silence. He shakes off his concerns. Perhaps Agnita has taken a more scenic route today. He's lost count of the number of times she's ventured off track, having spotted wild mushrooms, not stopping before she'd gathered up every last one. Ingemar goes inside and washes up. His joints are aching after a hard day's work, and a hot shower provides immediate relief. He heads into the kitchen where he finds bolognese in the pot waiting to be heated up. He turns on the stove and gathers plates and cutlery. By the time he sits down in front of the television at eight o'clock, he's starting to worry. Perhaps Agnita had dropped into a friend on the way home, stopped for a glass of wine and simply lost track of time. After all, it wouldn't be the first time. Nevertheless, he picks up the phone and begins dialing friends and neighbours, asking if anyone had seen her. Ingemar's detective work proves fruitless. His dinner finished, and Agnita's now stone cold, he laces up his boots and jumps onto his quad bike, driving into the forest to look for his wife, stopping every once in a while to call out her name. At around 10pm that night, Ingemar's search eventually brings him to the lake, just 700 metres from his front door. He spots something lying on the jetty. He switches off the ignition and gets off his quad bike, slowly approaching the shape. His heartbeat quickens. There's a crumpled heap at the end of the walkway. In the dark, it's hard to make out what he's looking at, but then he spots an unmistakable red coat. It's Agnita. Horrified, he rushes to his wife's side. She's not moving. He says her name over and over, but she doesn't respond. As he kneels down next to her, he can see blood has been pooling beneath her. She's severely injured, with circular wounds on her back, chest and arms. He cradles her gently, telling her everything is going to be okay. But it's not. Everything is far from okay. Something Ingemar only truly begins to comprehend when he looks straight into his wife's lifeless eyes and realises the horrible truth. Agnita is dead. When Johann Brunn, the forensic examiner, arrived at the Vestland's property shortly after midnight, the farm and the surrounding area were a hive of activity. The bright blue and red lights of the police and emergency service vehicles cut through the darkness. Cameras flashed as the scene was meticulously documented. Sniffer dogs ran enthusiastically this way and that, directing their handlers towards areas of interest. Neighbours from the surrounding properties, overhearing all the commotion, had slowly descended on the farm, wrapped in dressing gowns, torches in hand, their morbid curiosity held back 
by nothing more than flimsy blue crime scene tape. Johan, along with the medical examiner, is brought down to the jetty to assess Agneta's body. Removing the sheet she'd been covered with to protect her from the elements, he suppressed a gasp. Agneta's injuries are extensive and severe. The majority of them have one thing in common. The wounds and surrounding bruising seem to indicate a twisting or rotating action. He'd never seen anything quite like this before. At the centre of the controlled chaos on the farm was Ingemar. He was walking about in a half daze, unsure of what to do with himself. He'd already made two painful phone calls to his daughters, delivering the terrible news about what had happened to their mother. Despite the late hour, Teresa, the eldest, was already on the way. Knowing sleep won't come easy that night, he decides to make himself useful and goes to move a large cart sitting in the middle of the yard out of the way. But before he can do it, a police officer shouts in his direction, Leave it. We might need to take a look at that. It was at that moment Ingemar realised he wasn't just the grieving spouse. He was also top of the suspect list. At this point, Johan has thoroughly inspected the crime scene. The medical examiner arranges for Agnita's body to be taken to the northern city of Linchoping for autopsy. Brunn has worked through the night. As he watches the ambulance depart, day breaks, the sun beginning to rise over the horizon. He's exhausted, but realises he still has a long day ahead of him. He gets in touch with the state prosecutor and offers up his initial findings. Back at the house, Ingemar is asleep, finally convinced to go to bed by his daughter Teresa after the pair spent most of the night sobbing in each other's arms. A few short hours later, a policeman knocks on the door. A bleary-eyed Teresa answers. The apologetic officer tells her to wake up Ingemar and informs her that her father is about to be arrested on suspicion of murdering her mother. Ingemar receives the news with a surprising degree of calm. As he's cuffed and bundled into the waiting police car, he assures Teresa that everything will be all right in the end, before turning to the arresting officers and saying, I understand. You've got me. Now you have to find out what has happened and who did this. News of Ingemar's arrest spreads quickly through the village of Lofterhammer. Theories about what fate befell Agnita at the jetty are shared in the post office queue, in the local cafe, and on the golf course. By the day's end, there isn't a soul within a hundred kilometre radius who hasn't heard the story. In the local police station, Ingemar is taken into a small windowless room for questioning. He declines legal representation. Two detectives place a series of maps and photos of Ingemar's farm and the jetty in front of him and proceed to interrogate him. As Ingemar walks them through every moment of that fateful day, accounting for his movements every step of the way back at the farm, the investigation intensifies. Police scour the Vestland's property, turning the family home upside down 
they hunt through drawers, under floorboards, even inside mattresses, searching in vain for a murder weapon. Meanwhile, back in his lab, Johan is examining the photos of Agnita's wounds. There's one in particular that he keeps coming back to. It's a circular wound, 12 centimetres wide, in the small of Agnita's back. Suddenly it dawns on him. He has seen wounds like this before. He pulls up several old case files. Not crime scenes that Brunn himself was involved in, but part of a vast database of information that he and an international network of forensic technicians use for reference. All of them feature victims with similar wounds to Agnita's, all caused by the same thing, a lawnmower with a rotary blade system. Two police officers from nearby Vastavik are dispatched to Lufthammer, armed with a substance known as Blue Star. It's a blood-identifying agent. They enter the barn where Ingemar stores his mower and spray the colourless liquid on the blades. It immediately turns bright blue, indicating the presence of blood. Further tests also show blood on a torch stand on the Westland lawn, as well as the wheels of Ingemar's quad bike. The information is relayed to the police at the station where Ingemar is being held. They bring him back to the interview room, where they inform him of the latest developments. Upon hearing of the discovery of blood on the mower, Ingemar's face falls and his breathing quickens. He's barely listening as the officer sat opposite him says, You are on probable grounds suspected of murdering your wife, Agnita Westland, on September the 5th, 2008, in Loftehammer. After a few moments spent staring into space, Ingemar comes back down to earth and says just five words. Now I want a lawyer. Based on the blood identification results, the police's working theory is that Ingemar ran over his wife with the lawnmower, killing her, before moving her body to the jetty on his quad bike so that he could discover her later. When the results of Agnita's autopsy come in, they reveal that she died of asphyxiation, brought about by severe blunt trauma to the chest. Several of her ribs have been caved in, putting intense pressure on her lungs, quickly squeezing the life out of her. When the police update Teresa and Clara about the case's progress, Ingemar's daughters can barely believe what they're hearing. 24 hours ago, they had two kind, loving and living parents. Now their mother is dead and their doting father, who they can barely remember raising his voice to his wife in 30 years of marriage, is in jail for her murder. But then, the day after Agnita's death, they're suddenly granted one brief moment of reprieve amidst the horror. Yoka, the beloved family dog, suddenly reappears at the Vestland's farm. He's shaken, cold and very hungry, but he's alive. 
Clara can barely contain her happiness when the police officer who was on site when the dog finally came home delivers Yoka to her door. She calls her father, who, having spent most of the last day in a tiny cell with no windows, no clock, and forced to wear a mismatched prison uniform that barely fits him, allows himself a few joyful tears at the news of his dog's return. But the relief is short-lived. Ingemar, now officially charged with his wife's murder, is moved to a higher security prison in the city of Kalmar. He can barely fathom his current situation. Just a few days ago, he was a happily married man. He tended his farm, he walked his dog, he enjoyed a glass of wine with his wife in the evening, maybe even a cigarette if he was feeling particularly indulgent. Now, he was behind bars, locked up with some of the country's most notorious criminals. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Back in the lab, Johan analyzes the blood samples taken from the blades of Ingemar's mower. He frowns. This is not what he expected. He picks up the phone to the prosecutor 
and tells them that the imprisonment of Ingemar Vestlund might have been a tad premature. After several attempts to extract a DNA profile, they realise that the blood in question is not Agnita's. As a matter of fact, it's not even human. It's animal blood. Likely that of some poor, unfortunate creature which happened to be hiding in the grass when it was run over and eviscerated by the sharp spinning blades of Ingemar's mower. Johan knows that this revelation, whilst a blow to the prosecution, will be music to the Vestland family's ears. Ingemar is released, though his triumphant homecoming will have to wait. He's left stranded outside the gates of Kalmar Jail, still wearing his green, ill-fitting prison trousers, with an uncharged mobile phone in one hand and a bus timetable in the other. With the lawnmower theory seemingly dead in the water, Johan goes back to the drawing board. He spends days and weeks puzzling over Agnita's laundry list of wounds, eventually fixating on two small holes roughly 6.5 centimetres apart, located on her right upper arm. Identifying what caused those particular injuries would be the key to determining the murder weapon. He was sure of it. He just doesn't quite know what he's looking at. All the while, his team continue to gather evidence at the farm and the lake. By the time their work is completed, well over 250 individual samples are taken from the scene and sent on to the State Forensic Laboratory for further testing, the most they've ever received for a single case in their history. Meanwhile, back in Lufterhammer, the police have expanded the scope of their investigation, talking to anyone with even a remote connection to the Vestlands. Over several weeks, they conduct hundreds of interviews, speaking to everyone from relatives and neighbours to golf buddies and petrol attendants, hoping that someone, anyone, can provide them with a lead. They're trying to establish a motive. What reason could someone have for wanting Agnita Vestland dead? She was well-liked in the area and didn't appear to have any enemies. In the police's experience, these kinds of crimes tended to fall into one of two major categories, financial and personal. So far, they hadn't uncovered anything that would indicate how someone would benefit financially from Agnita's death, which left personal reasons. Did she have a secret admirer, maybe? Someone who she'd promised to leave Ingemar for, but had gotten cold feet? It seemed unlikely. All the information gathered pointed towards the Vestlands being a happy couple and nothing more. Ingemar, unable to return home whilst the investigation is ongoing, moves in with his daughter Teresa, staying in her guest house in Naka. He's heard nothing from the police since his release. No updates about the case, no list of suspects for his wife's murder. Frustrated at the lack of engagement from the authorities, he begins writing letters to the state prosecutors, demanding information. Ingemar doesn't know it yet, but the wall of silence is very much intentional. He's still the police's preferred suspect for the case, 
to the point where they've decided to tap his personal phone to see if he incriminates himself. But so far, everything he's told them has been the truth. An examination of Agnita's personal computer shows that she logged off at 18.32, right in line with the time Ingemar said she left for a walk with Jocke. A check of his call logs revealed that he did indeed start phoning neighbours and friends shortly after 8pm in an effort to suss out her whereabouts. But that 90 minutes in between is impossible to account for. Ingemar may well have spent it mowing and cooking as he'd been telling the authorities from day one. But with no witnesses to verify his tale, he and the lawnmower are still very much in the picture. Johan didn't normally spend his morning wrapping dead pigs in denim. But then again, this wasn't a normal morning. Two months after first starting work on the Vestlin case, he's back in the lab, preparing to run a new test. He's procured a pig carcass, which his team have covered in material similar to that worn by Agnita when she died. They proceed to run over it with a lawnmower putting on their headphones when greeting with the horrific sound of blade on meat and bone. They photograph their work. Side by side, the wounds inflicted on the mutilated pig are strikingly similar to those found on Agnita's body. The lawnmower theory is still alive. The forensic team accompany the police to the Veslam farm that December. They watch as Ingemar recreates his movements on the day his wife died. Everything from the moment he got out of bed that morning to his discovery of her body on the jetty that night. His task complete, Ingemar returns to his daughters. He spends his first Christmas without Agnita with his grandchildren in Naka. Time ticks on. Weeks have passed since the recreation and he's heard nothing from the police. He's nervous. He's certain of his innocence, but he can't shake the feeling that he's still in the crosshairs of the investigation. Then on January 28th, he gets a phone call out of the blue. It's a reporter for Vastavik's Tingenen, a local newspaper. He's calling for a comment asking how Ingemar feels about the charges against him being dropped. Ingemar nearly loses his grip on the phone. What are you talking about? He asks. This is the first I'm hearing of this. The journalist, surprised to be the one breaking the news to Ingemar, tells him that the authorities issued a press release that morning in which they stated... After six months of extensive investigation, having found no evidence linking Ingemar Vestland to the death of his wife, Agnita, we are dropping the charges against him. Ingemar feels like he's floating on air. He promptly moves back to his home in Lufthammer, but soon learns that the people he once counted as friends aren't so quick to believe he's innocent. He's made to feel unwelcome everywhere he goes. 
when he starts trying to play detective himself, asking neighbours if they saw Agnita on the day she died. He's met with raised eyebrows and barely concealed contempt. During one particularly frosty encounter, he decides to come right out and ask one neighbour if they believe he killed his wife. Yes, they respond immediately, before slamming the door in his face. By spring 2009, Johan was starting to feel the pressure. This case demanded answers, and so far, they haven't found anything conclusive. He reviews the evidence for one last time. When Agnita's body was discovered, numerous hairs were found at the scene. These were assumed to belong to Jocke, her dog. But some of the hairs were found in unusual places, including Agnita's eye. Johan sends them off for testing, and whilst they are indeed animal hairs, they are not from a dog. The hairs, in fact, belong to an elk. The elk is one of the largest species within the deer family. Fully grown, they can stand up to five feet tall at the shoulders and can weigh over a thousand pounds. Most importantly, they're native to Sweden and very common in the forests of Loftehammer. Johan starts poring through footage of elk attacks, looking for similarities to the injuries Agnita suffered. One clip, sourced on YouTube, proves to be particularly informative. In it, a woman who startled an elk and her calf is trampled upon repeatedly by the overprotective mother, leaving behind circular wounds very similar to those that caved in Agnita's chest. Johan immediately reaches out to an elk expert. Together, they deduce that the mysterious puncture wounds on Agnita's upper arm that had puzzled Johan for so long were caused by antlers. The fact that Agnita's death occurred during the elk mating season, a time when they're at their most aggressive, all but confirms the cause of death. But there's still one vital piece of evidence missing. Almost all elks, when attacking, produce enormous amounts of saliva, to the extent that they appear to be foaming at the mouth. If Agnita was indeed the victim of an elk attack, there would be elk saliva all over her body and her clothes. When her bright red jacket was first examined, three stains were discovered. These were tested along with samples of Ingemar's DNA to see if there was a match. The lab examined them again, this time looking for traces of elk DNA. Johan sat by the phone, waiting for the update from the lab technician. When it finally came, he picked it up on the first ring. His eyes widened as he took in the news. Not only was there elk saliva on the jacket, there was copious amounts of it, ten times the saliva you'd find if you were testing a cigarette filter for human DNA. The authorities immediately contacted Ingemar, telling him they had news. He asked that any updates be given in person, so that the whole family could find out what happened together. The police obliged. 
the Vestlands listened in rapt silence as the police told them what had most likely happened to their mother that day. Then they held one another and cried. Cried for their mother and her horrific death. But also in relief that their father's ordeal was now finally over. Later that day at a press conference, a moose expert explained how Agnita likely came across an elk in heat and that the easily startled animal may have been provoked by Yoka's barks and attacked. When Yoka then ran to his owner for protection, she would have become the new target. Agnita then fell to the ground where she was trampled repeatedly by the elk's powerful legs and gored by its antlers. The whole thing was likely over in seconds. The police confirmed that they had indeed found elk droppings not far from the scene and that their sniffer dogs had picked up an elk's trail. The investigation acknowledged that it had been so focused on Ingemar as a suspect that it had overlooked what, in hindsight, were blinding the obvious clues pointing towards an elk attack. Despite his exoneration, Life was never quite the same again for Ingemar. Lufterhammer, already feeling like half a home without his wife, was still hostile territory for him. The metal elk statue arriving on his lawn just days after the press conference proved to be the final straw. He left his farm behind and sold up, moving to Naka to live near his daughters and grandchildren. There he found some semblance of happiness. But the evenings, the time in which he'd normally relax on the veranda after a long day's work, drinking wine and smoking cigarettes with his wife, were the hardest. And his heart, he felt, will forever have a hole in it. One where Agnita should be. Smoking Gun is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's narrated by me, Romola Gary, And by me, Tracy Alexander. Executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. The series is supported by the British Academy of Forensic Sciences. Their work supports the international fight to improve forensic techniques, to share ideas and develop the crime-solving scientific advances of the future. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating and review and help to spread the word. You can listen to a new episode of Smoking Gun every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you want to listen to all episodes right now, you can find them completely ad-free on our subscription channel, What's the Story Crime. 
On there, you'll also get exclusive access to a whole bunch of bonus interviews led by me, where I speak to some of the most experienced and skilled forensic scientists from around the world and find out more about what they do. Those interviews are only available on What's the Story Crime. There's also a whole range of brilliant true crime content all made by the same team. You can check out The Missing, with more than 60 episodes all about long-term missing people, which invites you to try and help solve the case. You'll also find exclusive series like Jigsaw, true crime investigations like 900 Degrees, and incredible stories told over several parts. Whatever you're into, if you enjoy listening to Smoking Gun, we're sure you'll find your next must-listen podcast on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just search for What's the Story Crime. Subscribe, and you'll get all your favourite shows ad-free. For listeners on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or any other platform, all you need to do is click the link in our show notes or visit www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. Your subscription helps to ensure we can keep making more of the content you love. And it costs just 3 dollars per month.